Kevin, you got to see my shirt I got for my wife for Christmas. All right, let me get us live on. Is it YouTube worthy? Because we're going live on YouTube. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Nice. <laughs> Hey, Peter, this is Chris Evans. I also do a lot of smoking. Yeah. Uh, and so I've got a great shirt from uh, Rudy's Barbecue in Colorado Springs. The back of it says, uh, I didn't uh, I didn't claw my way up the food chain to eat uh, fruit and vegetables. <laughs> yes, I love it. Um, also in Colorado Springs, there is a Slayton's Creamery and Barbecue. Hey, really? I'm not related, but they did give me a free pop when I went there or nice. soda or Coke, depending on where you're from. Yeah. Um, that's all I got out of it. But we, we do have a shirt. So check that out next time you're in Colorado Springs. It was very good. All right. Thanks. Very cool. Which Bible? People are joining. This is good. We were wondering at about three till if we're going to have any, but any other friends with us. It was a very small group. It was a very intimate gathering for a while there. So, oh, hey, Chris is here. Hi, Chris. Hey, Chris. We were out buying a lottery ticket. Oh. <laughs> Ooh, and they're going to give the proceeds to Crucial if they win, right? Yes. That's always the deal. Right. We'll get the cut. Well, we don't buy them, but our probability of winning is about the same as if we did. Right. <laughs> you skip a step that way. We saved our $2. Yeah, that's my theory. Okay, it is seven-ish, so we will um, try to get started soon. Um, I have an announcement to make. Yes, go ahead, Tom. just wanted to say hi to my mom and dad. Oh, <laughs> That's all. Cool. We should all say hi to his mom and dad. Hi, uh, Tom. I miss you. Come <laughs> for yeah. yeah, I'll come over sometime soon. Okay. okay. Awesome. Love you. Love all right. You. So we're all going to meet at the Winter's house <laughs> soon. All right. Yeah. So we'll be there. Yeah, Just you're all invited. Of course you're all invited. Of course we are. <laughs> mom, you're, you're, we'll cook, right? We'll cook for them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Although well, she, won't be able to, she won't be able to taste test anything, right? Oh, really? See, here's the thing. I've I've been I've been blessed to be at the Winter's house, and um, if they're cooking, it's good food. It's going to be awesome. If if yes. So if you can make it, come. I mean, whether you're invited or not, they're they're quite hospitable people, and you know, it's always good stuff when you're at the Winter's house. So let's do it. Um, and there's always Bible study whenever I'm there. So they're, they're just wonderful people. So yeah, if you ever find your way near the winter's house, stop in. It's a, it's a, it's an experience. It's good stuff. All right. So tonight, speaking of good stuff, we're going to study Galatians two and into three. We didn't quite finish Galatians two. So we'll pick up where we left off at the end of, of two and head into three. Um, my head's cut off a lot today. I don't know why. Okay. So I don't know. Let's just let's just pray and then we'll get to it. If anybody has any questions or thoughts, let's pray first and then we'll we'll get to all the questions or whatever we're going to do. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, it is in your Son that we live. For he has come to give life. And as he came and walked through this existence that we have in this world, he took on all of our sins and all of our sorrows into his own flesh. And he nailed that body and all of our sins to the tree. And then he welcomed us to follow him out of the grave into the resurrection of eternal life. So be with us as we study the word that reveals this truth to us, that convicts us of this truth, and that gives us life in these words. May we rejoice in the life that you've given to us. And may we live by faith in the Son of God. Guide us with the wisdom that comes from your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Okay, so uh, any announcements or thoughts before we move on, or any questions, I should say, before we move on? Anything you guys were wondering about from last week um, that you wanted to get clarified or, or ask about or move in a different direction? Okay, so seeing none, let's just read Galatians 2 then. So Galatians 2, verses 20 and 21. I know we kind of did part of that, but I just want to make sure we finish that section before we move on. So Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 through 21. Someone can read that for us. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Okay, thank you very much. Um, as we talked about last week, and as I've, I've told you before, um, this is often identified as one of the most powerful verses in, in the New Testament. Um, obviously one of the most powerful verses in, in Paul's writings, but kind of a, a good summary of, of the Christian faith in many ways. So that's why it kind of deserves our, our extended focus. So we, we talked last week about being crucified with Christ, about being joined to Christ in his death and resurrection. And as, as we talk about being joined to that, we talked about that baptismal things that in Romans 6 we are baptized into his death and resurrection. Uh, we also talk about being joined to Christ. Um, primarily this is this is done in terms of faith that we are joined to the death and resurrection of Christ in faith. Uh, we also talk about when we're joined to Christ's death and resurrection we receive the benefits of of the work that he did on the cross. And so um, we receive from this then the forgiveness of sins. Right. And the gift of eternal life. Um, and, and the other thing that we want to make sure we remember, I know there's a glare in the middle of the board. Some things have changed in my room. So the, the, the glare keeps moving. I'm working on that. I'm sorry, but there's a cross behind the glare, which you can just assume. And when we, when we think about this, I want you just to remember that, that Paul's big phrase is often in Christ. Um, this, is, this is where we live. This is where God is active. And this is really kind of the goal of life. I was going to say Christianity, but really for Paul, this is the goal of life is to be in Christ. Okay. And so for Paul, Everything is driving to this idea of being in Christ. So I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life I live, I live, I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and, and gave himself for me. So it's this in Christ idea, being crucified with Christ gets us into Christ, faith in Christ. It's all in Christ. Okay. And this really is kind of one of the things you want to keep in mind whenever you're reading anything in the New Testament, especially written by Paul, is kind of pay attention to this idea of being in Christ. And so this, this is such a, a, a giant um, kind of overall way that he talks about theology and really gets us to think about theology. Um, and again, whenever I say theology, I also mean simply like everyday life. There's no difference. This is, this is actually how we exist as creatures created by God, um, to be in Christ. Okay. So this is kind of the goal of Christianity. That's what we talked about last week. So any questions from last week that you wanted to ask? Okay. So number one, after all that, number one, then, then if we are crucified with Kevin, Christ, Kevin, I had a yeah. comment, not a question. Yep. Uh, basically being in Christ means that you are no longer you. Right. So good. Number one. So where is the self, Susan? Absorbed into Christ. Yeah. You're kind of, um, this is what's really hard about this for us is that what Paul is really saying is that being in Christ is kind of the death of self. 
Okay. And um, this is when we talk about um, our original sin or concupiscence. Remember, the idea of concupiscence is this drive to love self, this drive to want to worship myself, this drive to want to put myself first. And this really is original sin is always driving us to kind of say, no, 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 it's got to be all about me. I've got to be the most important thing in my life. In order for my life to work out well, I got to, you know, I got to pull myself up my own bootstraps. I got to take care of me. All these things that we're taught is really this drive to self. And what Paul is saying is that actually the good news is to be in Christ is actually the death of self. And remember, what, what we're putting to death in the self is our sin, okay? The sin that we inherited from our parents, original sin, but also our actual sin. When we're crucified with Christ, we're putting that to death. And, and the self does not reign, but the self is put to death and Christ reigns, okay? Now, I know that freaks people out. Hold on. It's okay. Um, what I want to just show you is that is that this is this is this is really important for us. Even this is going to sound a little strange. Even in our daily life and sustenance, let's go. Let's go to Matthew chapter six. So Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, um, first of the four Gospels, obviously. So Matthew chapter six. So so Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Like I said, just go back a couple of books, you'll find it. So Matthew chapter six is the middle chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount goes from Matthew five through Matthew seven. You guys know the Sermon on the Mount really well. It starts with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? You got that. That's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. The middle of the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer, which is in Matthew six. The end of the Sermon on the Mount is a story about building your house either upon the sand or upon the rock. Okay, so you guys, you guys got this, you know, this text, you know, Matthew 5, 6 and 7, you know it. Okay, that's the Sermon on the Mount. Well, here at the end of Matthew 6, the very end of the chapter we're going to look at, and he says this. Well, it kind of starts way, it's kind of hard to get about. Let's just start at verse 25. So Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink not about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. And they say, you know, look at the birds of the air and all that kind of stuff. But what I want to look, look at is this. Look at verse 32 and 33. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, meaning providing for their daily needs. But your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Okay. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Okay. So, so even when it comes to the, the physical care of our bodies, the movement of faith in Christ is movement away from self, right? Outside of self. Whereas concupiscence says, let's, let's focus on, I, my stick people aren't even doing well today right? Concupiscence says, I need to focus more on me. Faith in Christ says, um, that was, that was Matthew 6, uh, 33. So, so faith in Christ says focus outside of self. And this is kind of the movement is, is faith is really moving the focus of our life away from self and on to God and receiving from him what he, what he gives. And, so, so when Paul talks about this, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, this is a pervasive message of the New Testament that real life, real hope, real joy, real fulfillment is found not in self, but in Christ and in, in the kingdom of God. And remember, as we keep going, whenever I say in Christ, and then you hear um, in the Gospels, the kingdom of God, those are the same idea. So kingdom of God and in Christ are really the same idea. Okay. So, so that's kind of what I'm getting at is that Paul's moving about being in Christ. Jesus' teaching of being in the kingdom of God, seeing the kingdom of God. This is all movement 
away from self and actually the, the putting to death of self through the, the co-crucifixion with Christ. Okay. So I no longer live. My sinfulness is crucified with Christ. Okay. And, and here's the thing. Here's what this means. It's not just a movement to say, let's deny ourselves, but actually this is good news because what this means is any sin that you are guilty of, whether it's sin that everyone knows that you struggle with, or whether it's a sin that you've never told anybody because you're so ashamed of it, whether it's a sin that you, you do all the time, you just can't seem to get over, or it's something you did that it's, it's so awful you can't even think about it. Whatever sin it is, it's been nailed to the cross. And, and I, I want you to understand this and believe it. God doesn't hold you guilty of that sin. And neither should anybody else. It's been nailed to the cross. You are free. You are forgiven. Those who have faith in Jesus Christ, they are forgiven of all their sins. This is what Paul means. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It's all been put to death, right? It's all been put to death. And this means that forgiveness is full and free. And remember, the whole point of Galatians 2 is that this forgiveness, this being in Christ is not something we earn, but it's something that's given to us by God's grace that we receive by faith. Okay. Not according to the law, not according to works, but according to God's grace, according to his gift. Okay. So this is really this, this great idea of death to self. It's not, it's not just a, you know, sanctification idea of growing more and more faithful to God and less and less focused on self, but it also is the relief that our sins have been removed from us, that we are forgiven because of what Christ has done. Okay. And this is exactly why we confess our sins to God because he forgives our sins. Okay. Any questions or thoughts on that? Kevin? Yeah. I can testify to this. You know, I'm going through this another health scare. Mm -hmm. And at first, it's always me. How am I going to take care of How am I going to deal with this again? How am I going to do this? And it's taken me weeks to get to the point where God is going to have to help me because I mm -hmm. cannot help myself. So mm -hmm. I sat there today in the infusions and I'm going over Psalm 46 in my head Good. and and again. So yes, it works. And it takes me a while to get there for this is the third time I've gone through this. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a cycle. But it it's is. A process. And, and that's exactly right. And what you just said is very important. Sometimes it takes time for us to, to kind of remember this or to get our mind focused on this or to it. And, and what you're doing exactly right. You, you call to mind the word of God. And that's the strength that, that brings us back to this reality and, and keeps in the spirit works through that to teach us this truth. It's exactly right. Psalm, Psalm 46, good stuff. Um, hey, if you need another Psalm to memorize while you're going through this, Susan, work on Psalm 130. Okay. Psalm 130. All right, let's let's go there. Everybody, turn to one, Psalm one thirty. This is kind of an Old Testamenty way to talk about the same idea. Okay, Psalm one thirty. Book of Psalms, the big old big old book in the middle of the Old Testament, right? Book of Psalms, one hundred and fifty of them. Some are long, some are short. Some are ridiculously long. I would say memorize Psalm 119, but you, you won't because it's, you know, hundreds of verses long. It's ridiculous. Psalm 119 endures forever. Just it does endure forever. That's right. <laughs> Psalm 130. This is, this is just a good one. Um, and you actually know some of it already, um, but it, it really is just, this is kind of bringing some of this in, in, a, in a way the Old Testament presents it to us. Okay, so Psalm 130. Now, remember, some of the Psalms have these little titles on the top where it says like a song of a sense, right? And actually in the Hebrew, it's just a little title. And, and we're not always sure what they mean. Sometimes it's the name of a tune, apparently, like play this to the tune of, you know, whatever. 
uh, a mighty fortress, you know, open your, your hymnal to, to number 586, you know, or whatever it is. We don't know what these little notes mean all the time. This is a song of ascents, which was probably sung as a liturgical singing as they're going up to the temple. Doctor, are these part of the text? Because I know that you've also yeah. talked about on your podcast that sometimes these sort of chapter titles and things are not, but these right. are. So, very good. So the the bold the bold subheading where my in, in in the ESV it says my soul waits for the Lord. That's not part of the psalm, but the little the little thing that says a song of ascents that actually is in Hebrew. That's in the Hebrew text. Is that denoted in any way? Or are, are we to know that as readers of the Bible? Uh, Ask me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So basically the, the subheads that are in bold are not part of the text in your ESV Bible. Those are subheads that were added by the editor. Um, whoever put together your Bible said, I need to help you understand what the Psalm was about. So he wrote little subheads on there. Um, that's not inspired, nor is the giant 130, right? The giant 130 is also not inspired. Someone also added that so I could, get you to the right psalm otherwise i'd have to say you know that psalm where it says um so so the the numbers aren't inspired they were added uh the chapter numbers were added in the you know 12 to 1300s the verse numbers were added in, in the mid 1500s um finally so is the order of the psalms if the numbers are not is the order of the psalms the way we got them uh somebody assembled these there there actually is an assembly of the psalms um so there is a, an editor of the Psalms who put them together into books. So the books are arranged. There, there are different books within the Psalms. And, and there's actually uh, doxologies at the end of each of the books, which is kind of a fun thing. So what's the easiest one to do? Oh, let's see. Well, if you go to, if you go to Psalm 1, in, in my ESV Bible anyway, it says book one. Do you see that? book one well who wrote book one was that the editors or was yes fired off so the editors did well, so the editors, editors wrote that word book one isn't that fun and and so so i'm just trying so like psalm 23 see there where it says the lord is my shepherd that's not in the bible the lord is my shepherd is something someone added so that you know what Psalm 23 is about. But the words that say a Psalm of David, that's in the Hebrew text. Okay. And then obviously the words that follow, but the giant 23 there, you know, somebody just wrote that in there and the little numbers that move along there, one, two, three, four, five, six, those are all added too. Okay. And then obviously all those notes at the bottom of the page, some dude wrote those. That's not the Bible. Okay, so go to, I'm trying to see how the ESV does it. Yeah, okay, good. So they have it delineated again. So Psalm 42 usually begins the second book of the Psalm. That's, that's the first division there is Psalm 42. And yeah, they do have it denoted in the ESV. You see that where it says book two. So that's that's the division of the Psalms. And, and what you'll notice then is the last verse you know, look, so look at Psalm 41, the end of the Psalm 41. Hey, this is hard on the screen. So it says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. That's the end of the first book of the Psalms. Isn't that fun? And so what you'll see is these Psalms are actually assembled in this way, um, sometimes around authorship, sometimes around the theme of the Psalm. And there's, there's actually a whole study on why the Psalter is laid out the way it is. Um, if you want to, if you want to hear the definitive podcast on this, uh, look up Adam Hensley. Adam Hensley. It was uh, Peter. Help me out. Faith Capo. Is that right? Is that the one that does a podcast series? Um, wait, no, Faith Capo doesn't have an Adam Hensley. Who? What series again? Well, he did it as a guest there. I do see an Adam Hensley. A, Faith oh, Capo. okay, yeah, Faith Capo. Yeah, Faith Capo. Adam Hensley and the the kind of the messianic groupings of the Psalms. He's the man, by the way. Adam's a good friend of mine. Um, that doesn't make, make him good. That's just, that's how I know him. Anyway, Psalm 130. Okay, that was a lot to get to Psalm 130, wasn't it? All right, Psalm 130 says this. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the cry 
to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And then listen to this, you guys know this one. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, and therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Okay, so there's there's kind of your a, a very brief Old Testament psalm about this forgiveness that we receive from God out of his abundant mercy, simply out of his mercy, right? We just rely on his mercy, and that's what he gives to us. So um, again, that's just that's just a really nice psalm to have in your head to think of kind of about the same theology we're looking at in Galatians chapter two. Now, I want to say something. I know we're still in number one. We're going to get past number one tonight. Don't worry. But I want to say this so that we don't misunderstand ourselves. When we talk about all this death to self and getting rid of self and, and putting to death our sins and getting rid of our selfishness, we are not saying that we are a mistake or we're a bad creation or God messed up when he made us or something like that. Um, as a matter of fact, we're also not saying that human nature is the same thing as sin. Okay. We want to make sure in all this, that what we're talking about is that our nature is completely fallen or corrupted, but that we were made good, that God created us good. And so human nature is not the same thing as original sin. Okay? Now, why is that important to say? Why is it important for us to make sure we affirm that human nature is not the same thing as original sin? Because there are humans, three of them, that have been known to be good because even though they're human. Um, and if we say that human nature in and of itself in its essence is bad, then we start to get into some theological problems. Okay, you know two more humans that were good than I do. I do. I do too. I know two who were created good. Started right. out good. Started out good, but it didn't, it didn't end up so good. Right, because Jesus took on flesh. That's exactly right. So the most important thing, yeah, Adam and Eve, they kind of messed the whole thing up. It's, their, it's kind of their fault. But the real point is that Jesus has a human nature and does not have original sin. Okay, so he is fully human, has a full human nature, but does not have original sin. So part of what we're talking about is when we are joined to Christ, we actually participate in this idea that in the forgiveness of sins, we are recreated as we were to be before the fall in Adam and Eve, as God created it good. That's what we actually receive through the forgiveness of sins. We receive a human nature that is now forgiven of sin. And this is what we will live in then for all of eternity is this, this good human nature that has no sin with it. We will just have human nature in the image of God, in the likeness of God, in the fullness of that creation, just like Jesus. Okay. So, so that's important for us to remember. And, and people kind of get freaked out about this a little bit, but we do want to affirm the, the complete fallenness of our human nature. We are completely corrupted. There's nothing good in us apart from what God has done for us. But, but we also want to make sure we don't equate human nature with original sin. So we got, we got a epitome of the formula of conquer when everybody, you know, kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Treasury yesterday. So, so um, this is actually in the, in the book of Concord. It's, it's laid out there for you. There was a whole controversy about this and you can read the argumentation of it. But, but does everybody understand that? So, so this, is, this is part of what we're, we're kind of want to say, fully, fully confess the, the, the concupiscence, the original sinness and the, the need for forgiveness. But at the same time, you don't want to go so far as to say that, that humans are a mistake or, or all messed up or something. Um, we are completely fallen, but human nature in and of itself is a good creation of God. And Jesus, as 
one who has full human nature yet was without sin, then that's what we're joined to. And in him, we have the fullness of humanity. Okay. Questions or thoughts on that? Yes. I'm going to give you, though, the opportunity to refuse this question because it's a little okay. bit complicated. I think that this group could handle it. Um, but I wonder if this is, it may take, we've already went, went into the weeds once in the Psalter, but, um, and we only get to do that once a night, maybe, maybe that should be the rule. But I wonder how this relates to our doctrine of the mystic union, uh, as opposed to the Eastern Orthodox idea of theosis or the Roman Catholic idea of gratia infusa, which yeah. is, a, and so we, in, in Lutheranism, we would understand and affirm something called the simul justus et peccator, which is the idea that we are always sinners in this life, um, and yet we are also justified and are therefore you know, going to live a, a God, a more godly life and that we will work through our sanctification and kind of improve our habits and our piety and seek after God. And, you know, in cooperation, cooperation with the Holy spirit, you know, we'll just kind of work on things, but we'll never really escape that idea that we are sinful and broken. Whereas other faith traditions, uh, again, Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox in particular would say, well, you actually become literally more God-like you become in your nature, more aligned with God. You, you can become less sinful sinful, you, yep. you change, you know, ontologically, we've talked about ontology a couple times recently. Mm -hmm. um, is this passage that we just read in Galatians, does it contribute to this idea of uh, what we what we would call the mystic union? And, and how, uh, how do we how do we talk about that without talking about theosis? Yeah, anyway, I would get a little bit away from the, the move to the mystic union. And what I would simply talk about is that um, the Christian's sanctification even is really going to be described um, in Christ and and uh, I think I think one of the things that, that I like to emphasize in this discussion is that in in New Testament theology righteousness is is still located in God righteousness does does not become located in me um, you know and we've looked at this in Romans 1 16 and 17 I'm not ashamed of the gospel for the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes first with Jews and then for the Gentile for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed right by faith and from faith for it is written the righteous will live by faith and so the idea is the righteousness is still God's righteousness just because I am forgiven doesn't mean that I I then own righteousness in and of myself no the righteousness that I have is Christ's righteousness and it remains thus um, theosis and, and gratia unfusia and all these other theologies, even, even in progressive sanctification, it, it actually starts saying that I become more and more righteous. And, and what we would say is, no, we're becoming more and more in Christ. We're living our lives in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I don't, I don't locate the righteousness here. I locate it in Christ. Okay. And, and I think that's just real quickly, without getting too much in the weeds, that's how I, I, that's how I talk about it. I think that's such a simple and profound way to put it. The righteousness is located in, in God and in Christ, not in us. It's located there. You, you can't get it. <laughs> it's not, and, it's and not. honestly, you don't want to let it be there. He seems to do a much better job with it than I do. Just thank you. you. Okay. So number hey, two. Kevin, yeah. Kevin, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Um, so with a Roman acquaintance, they, they, they use the argument, well, you see, Jesus could do it. So he's, he's a true man. So therefore you can do it too. Yep. And, and, and I'd say, um, amen, come Lord Jesus, that, that, that in the eschaton, I will live in the fullness of the righteousness of God. But, in, but until then, according to the scriptures, I will still deal with my, the sinful reality of my flesh. Um, and then, you know, obviously Romans seven becomes a giant passage for that, where yeah. Paul himself even says, you know, what a wretched man I am. Um, so it, it's not Paul saying, Hey guys, I got this licked. I'm good. Um, but he actually, he, he continues to, um, need forgiveness and that's, and that, I mean, again, we don't want to get too much in the weeds and all this, but what happens is if righteousness becomes something that I can attain, attain to or achieve then I actually need Christ less and less and less as I go. And, and this is simply contrary to the entire movement of the New Testament, where the movement of the New Testament is, is that we're always needing to more Jesus, more God, more of, of God's grace, 
not less. And so if I get to the point where, you know, I called a good friend, uh, not a good friend of mine, I called a, an acquaintance of mine um, who who is a Methodist. And, and I said, I need to talk to you about how Methodists see original, how Methodists see sin. And he said, well, I haven't sinned in three years, so I'm good. You know, and it was like, whoa, what? And that can be kind of the problem is, is if, if we start seeing this as something we receive or we achieve in, in and of ourselves without, without the need for Christ continually, we start needing him less. And um, kind of the, the basic premise of, of theology is, is it's, it's kind of all about Christ and not about us. And, and the more we get into this idea that I need less Christ as I go, that, that gets to be very scary. Okay. Does that make sense? So, so yeah. we don't want to make Jesus into the great example. He's not just the great example. He is an example, but more than that, he is the savior. He actually saves. He doesn't just give us an example of how to achieve salvation. He actually saves. All right. So number two, number two, what is the role of the law? So getting on then to, to verse 21. I think it merely puts into words the way we should try, we not try, but the way we huh? should live since we're Christians. Good. Ex excellent. So the law reveals how we live because we are in Christ. That's exactly right. So the law reveals how we live because we're in Christ. It does not have a role in saving us. Okay, so this is Paul's point is that if justification was from the law, then Christ died for nothing. That doesn't set aside the law. That doesn't nullify the law. It simply reminds us of the role of the law. The law is not there to save us. The law is there to instruct us how to live because we are God's people. Okay? So that's very important. So the, a lot of bad theology occurs when we try to put the law into the role of saving. And what Paul is saying is don't do that. Make sure when it comes to saving that the law is not playing a part, okay? Because if the law plays a part, then why did Christ die? I mean, this is kind of the big problem with works righteousness is that it, it actually makes the death and resurrection of Christ less important, all right? And, and we want to make sure that, that we, um, it, no other way to say it, that the, the, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords receives all the glory, not us. And that's, that's what he gets for being God. And you know, we're not. So, okay. Thoughts or questions on, on Galatians chapter two? There is a lot more to talk about, but we'll try to move on. Kevin, when you said that the law doesn't play a role in salvation, I get that. But doesn't it also like convict you of your sin so that you know you need the gospel? So yep. is that, in a sense, a role or not? No, it doesn't play a, a, I'm sorry, you're right. Good good point. It doesn't play a positive role in salvation. It doesn't contribute to the act of saving. It might lead you to the need for salvation. So in that way, it will play a role in driving you to repentance. But it doesn't take, play a positive role in affecting that salvation to you. The law will never save you. It might drive you to repentance where you need salvation, but it won't actually yeah. do the saving. Yeah, so. thank you. Yeah, very good. Very good. Thank you for that. Very good. Okay. Any other thoughts or questions? All right. Let's read Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Now, just a little warning. Um, he's going to change gears. So this is Paul changing gears on you. So let's read Galatians 3, verses 1 through 9. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God 
and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Okay, thank you very much. Um, yeah, as you can see, just a, a major shift of, of kind of themes in Galatians, just the way it goes. So just real quick, before we before we get too much into the, the, the text itself, just look back at chapter one, just, just for a second, just remind you, um, this kind of goes back to chapter one, um, verse six. Okay, so this is kind of the way that the whole book started. And in Galatians 1, 6, it goes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So now we're kind of, we went through this whole defense of Paul's ministry, this explanation, justification by grace through faith, all of us. And now he's kind of back. He's like, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You know, Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified before your eyes. And, and now you're kind of going in a different direction. So we're, we're kind of going back to chapter one and, and picking up that theme again. Okay, so he's laid out his apostolic ministry. He's laid out salvation by grace through faith for both Jew and Gentile. He's, he's gotten us all in Christ, crucified with Christ. And now he's going to get back to his point of who has bewitched you? Who has turned you to a different truth than what you heard in Christ Jesus by the Spirit? Okay, so that's, that's kind of what he's doing rhetorically. All right, so number three, what is the main content of Paul's preaching? We preach Christ crucified. Yeah, so good. And and I just want to show you that that we're not making this stuff up when we say this. It's right here in the text. It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was portrayed as crucified. This is what Paul taught the Galatians. The content of Paul's preaching was the cross of Christ. And, and that's why when we talk about how to read the Bible, how to think about God, how to spend our time in worship— and, and honestly, even how to live then, we want to make sure that we're focused on God's love in Christ, God's action to save in Christ, Christ as our Savior, Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ returning. That's really the focus of all this. And again, it's not, it's not me saying it. It's not the Lutheran Church saying it. This is, this is what Paul himself preached and taught. This is the centrality of his message. Okay? And, and all, all theology flows from there. Literally, all theology flows from the cross of Christ. Um, Old Testament, New Testament, it all flows from that, that one central point. Okay? All right, number four. So how does God work faith? Through the Spirit. Through it. Yeah, through the Spirit and keep going. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing the word? Hearing. hearing. Okay. So again, we always run to Romans 10, 17 as our proof text, where it says faith comes by hearing and hear or hearing the word of, of Christ. But also here in Galatians 3, it says did you did you see the spirit by works of the law or did you see the spirit by hearing and faith okay and this is so this is actually how um how the spirit works is by hearing the word of god and and in in faith now i don't normally do this but i'm, I'm going to let you all in just for a second on the the craziness that goes on in my head um when you read this in Greek, and, and I'm not doing this for any other reason, just to kind of bring this point home a little bit. Um, this is just a strange anomaly in the Greek text. It literally says this. It says, you know, however you want to translate the first part, that's fine. It's who has bewitched you? Uh, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ. Then here's the point. In Greek, the verb is not publicly portrayed. The Greek verb is actually previously written written beforehand 
Now, the reason your translations say publicly portrayed is because um, there are times when this verb was actually used to talk about placards that people would write down ahead of time and put in public and display them for people to read. Okay, so so the, the problem is, is people trying to interpret what does he mean by previously written? Because this is the first letter we have to the Galatians. So when did he write previously to the Galatians that Christ was crucified? Does he mean in, in chapter two? That doesn't necessarily make sense in the context, but it kind of seems like he's referring to what he taught them when he was there. So when you when your English translation says um, publicly portrayed as crucified, the Greek verb is literally written beforehand. Okay, and the reason I think that's important is because that thing ties to this. You receive the Spirit, okay, from hearing of faith. And it's, it's this tie that, that, that Paul, his message is this Jesus, this, this previously written message of Christ crucified, and they receive the Spirit by hearing this in faith. And I think this is just huge because um, whenever, and, and this is just something that's always, that always comes up, the Holy Spirit, right? You guys could, if someone said, hey, you're a Christian. And you said, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I said, well, you go to Bible study. Yeah, I go to Bible study. He said, well, what do you believe about Jesus? And you're like, well, I, I could talk for hours about that, right? I could just go forever about Jesus. I said, okay, okay, cool. That's cool. What about God the Father? What do you got there? And you can say, well, you know, I don't know as much as I do about Jesus, maybe, but I got a lot. I could talk to you about creation. I could talk about he's the one that sent the Son, our Father who art in heaven, right? We can go on and on and on. And I said, well, what do you believe in the Holy Spirit? And you go, well, there is one. He's holy. He used to be called Holy Ghost, but we're scared of ghosts. So we changed it to spirit. And they go, yeah, what do you believe about him? And you say, well, I believe in the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. And I say, no, 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 what about the Holy Spirit? And you go, well, uh, he proceeds from the Father and Son. <laughs> he with the Father and Son together is worked and glorified. He spoke by the prophets. You know, and you're going, no, 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 what about the Holy Spirit? And, and this is kind of the point is that the Holy Spirit, and, and you can you can read this in theology as, as people write about this, is that when you think about the Holy Spirit, what you actually want to do is you want to think about the Word of God. That the Spirit is intrinsically linked to the Word, okay? And this is kind of the key that helps you unlock kind of the means of grace, kind of the way all this works, is that the Spirit is tied to the Word. How did you receive the spirit? Did you receive it through mysticism? No. Did you receive it through works of the law? No. How did you receive it? Hearing. Hearing the word. Okay. And, and then you say, okay, well, the Holy Spirit also comes through baptism, right? Acts chapter two. Ba be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay. You say, well, how does that work? And you say, well, it's not just plain water, but it's water combined with God's command and connected with God's word. Okay. And so the active thing in baptism is actually the word of God, the promise of God. Even in that instance, Peter is proclaiming the word of God. And it's that, that word that the spirit works through in baptism. It's that word the Holy Spirit works through in giving us faith. And that's why we talk about the means of grace, okay? Means of grace, meaning the way that God gives us his grace, the means, our primary focus then on the activity of the word. And it's in this word that the Holy Spirit is working, okay? Think about John chapter 20. The risen Jesus appears to the apostles, breathes on them, and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whosoever sins you are you forgive, they are forgiven. Okay. And so what happens is, I'm sorry, he also says, as a father sent me, so I am sending you. And so the idea is he sends them to speak these words, okay, to actually speak the very word of God. And what he says is when you speak forgiveness, it actually happens. The Holy Spirit is going to work through those words to affect it. It's going to actually be the power of the spirit in the word of God. And, and this is right here in Galatians chapter three, what, what Paul is getting to Galatians to understand is you're not going to get the Holy spirit by your works. 
you get the Holy Spirit when you hear the word. Okay. And that hearing is faith and the Holy Spirit works faith in the hearing of the word. And so we want to always be saying, I want to be in the word of God. I want to be hearing the word of God, listening to the word of God being preached, reading the word of God. I want to be receiving the word of God in the sacraments. I want to be where the word of God is preached and sung on Sunday morning, right? Unfortunately for now, right now, sometimes that's your iPad, but but you're doing the best you can, right? We're gathering the best we can where the word of God, when the word of God is preached and proclaimed. I, I got it. So, but but the church, but but think about that. We're, we're still saying, hey, I need to gather around the word of God. Even if I can't physically get there, I'm still going to gather. I'm still going to hear that word. I'm still going to listen to the word, right? And so that's what we're doing. And we actually believe that when we're doing all this word stuff, even tonight, the Holy Spirit is working. He's the one giving us faith. He's the one driving us to our Savior, Jesus. And it's Kevin, faith in that, that that really gives us salvation. Yes. Is it wrong to consider the Holy Spirit the helper who keeps you grounded in your faith? No, that's great. That's that's another thing he does is, is remember, this, this in the wordness is not just faith engendering. It also sustains us in that faith. That's exactly right. So he's the helper. John 14, right? That we're learning on Sunday mornings, John 14, 15, and 16, where the Holy Spirit is actually the paraclete, the helper, the comforter, the one that, that comes alongside us and, and, and gives us the comfort and the help of keeping us in our faith. It's exactly right. Um, which is which is really behind 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, no, I'm sorry. Two, three? I think it's two. Um, where it says that even if we're faithless, he remains faithful because he can't disown himself. So yeah, good. John 16, 8 as well. Exactly right. It, it, Jesus says it several times in John 14, 15, and 16. He just keeps saying it, which is great. Um, but yeah, so this is the way it works. Yep. Go ahead. Oh, I, I don't think you've mentioned Martin Luther's explanation, or have you? Um, calls, gathers, enlightens, sanctifies, and keeps us in the one true faith and guides us into all truth. I, I always like, like to remember that sequence. Yeah. That's exactly right. So that's that's Luther's explanation of the third article, of the Apostles' Creed, um, and his yeah in the small catechism. So that and, and at, if you've heard me teach much, I, I say that all the time. That that is the best the best theological writing that isn't in the New Testament uh, is Martin Luther's explanation to the third article, of the Apostles' Creed, in the small catechism. That's if you memorize that, you're going to have a lot of good theology walking around in your head. Hey, Kevin, Chris Hogan has a question in the comments. Yeah. What, what you got? Chris Hogan. What if someone says, I see you in church and Bible study all the time, but don't see the fruits of the spirit in you? Yeah. Um, good question. And there's a lot of ways to talk about that. Um, one thing to, to do when someone says it is, is to say, uh, that, that's why I'm in church and Bible study because I, <laughs> I ain't got this licked. I mean, I, you're right. I am. That's what I'm learning when I go to church and Bible study, I am repenting of my sin of my inability to be full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I, I lack those things. And so I go to church to confess that to receive from God forgiveness, and then to pray the Holy Spirit, teach me how to live this way. How do I live loving God with my whole heart, loving neighbor as myself? How do I live in love and peace and joy and patience? That's exactly right. That's why I go. And why do I go to Bible study? Because this is the word of God that teaches me what God has done for me in Christ and helps me learn how to live as a result of that work. He teaches me how to live in the spirit. And you know, if you see me live in a way that isn't isn't the way the Holy Spirit wants me living, absolutely, you're welcome to to ask me why. And if I'm wrong, I, I repent of that's that's why I go to church. That's why I go to Bible study because uh, there will be a day when you don't need forgiveness, right after Christ returns. And guess what you will do then? You'll go to church 24 hours a day. Because you'll be so thankful that you're living without sin. You'll be like, this is the best thing ever. I'm living without sin. There's no death. There's no sickness. There's no sadness. This is great. 
there's pizza all the time. And, and you just you just praise God 24 hours a day because it's so wonderful to live in this reality, right? So, you know, between now and no then, emos. it's not emos, don't worry. That's not, I, just, I said pizza, not emos. And, you know, between now and then, we actually go to church um, both to repent of our sins, but also to, to spend time re receiving from God all this goodness that he's given us in Christ. That's exactly why we're there. Um, that's exactly why we're there. And and if if they don't understand that or that that freaks them out, invite them to come with you and say, come with me. I'll explain what's going on, right? I'll explain how all this works. I'll explain what repentance is and why we say what we say and why we receive from God and how we receive. I'll explain all that. that that's exactly why we do this. So, so come on with me. I'll explain it. Hey, Kevin, mm -hmm. are, are the fruits of the spirit strictly vertical in the sense of between humans? Do they do fruits of the spirit also? Would you apply them horizontally? No, I'm sorry. First, yeah, yeah, backwards. Horizontally right? first and then vertically to God. I, I know they're typically horizontally referenced, but aren't fruits, of, could you also think of fruits of the spirit and how? how you i don't know how you didn't act self-control before god yeah patience um, yeah i mean there's it's i don't think it's either or i think it's both and um and we'll get there when you get to galatians chapter five which is where the fruits of the spirit are i know that'll be like in two years but but eventually we'll get there and well, yeah so the reason i asked that was the question you know if someone's strictly looking at your horizontal behaviors and works they may say, oh, well, you're, you don't have the fruits of the spirit, but what if you're like the publican who beats his breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. seems like that's a fruit of the spirit because the spirit's the one who has convinced you that you need to, you need to come to God for mercy. Right. And so that's why I guess in my answer, what I was trying to, to get across is that when someone comes at me and says, I don't see you living up to this, my response is yes. And for that, I repent. Let me point you to the one who is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Let, let me point you to him. You're right. If you look at me and you say, oh, you think you're some example of Christianity? You go, no, I, I actually don't. I, I, I need forgiveness. That's the point. But, but let me tell you about the one who does have the fruit of the spirit and lives them perfectly. His name is Jesus. And that's the hope we have is that to be in him is to have the fruits of the spirit. Um, so, so when we get there, we'll go through the fruit of the spirit. Now, now remember Paul's argument in Galatians five is that there's all this stuff that the law actually says you can't do. Right. And it's bondage to do the stuff the law says you can't do. Then the, there's all this stuff. The law doesn't say anything about it. doesn't say you can't love. The law doesn't say you can't have peace. The law doesn't say you can't have self-control. And so you're free in the Holy Spirit. You are free in Jesus to have peace. You're free. You're totally free to have that. There's no law against that. Right? Does that make sense? So, so like you're driving on the road, you say, well, can I go 100 miles an hour? I know there's a sign that says you can't. I say, well, can I turn up the radio? And you go, Sure, there's a law against that, right? So you're driving down the law, the road of life, and you're like, "Hey, can I kill my neighbor?" And Paul goes, "Well, oh no, there's a law against that." You're like, "Can I have joy?" And Paul goes, "Yeah, there's no law against that. Do it, right? That's the fruit of the spirit." And so that's actually his argument: is that is that we're living in these things that are actually condemning us because there's a law against them. He's like, you're free from that. You're now free to live in the things against, against which there is no law. You're free to be faithful. You're free to, be, to live in self-control. You're free to be kind. You're totally free. Go ahead. Turn up the radio, right? Um, that's, so that's really his argument in Galatians 5. Um, and we'll see how that works when you get there, which is, which is the product of being free in Christ, which starts at the beginning of Galatians 5, okay? It's about what does it mean to be free in Christ? But we won't get there for another couple, yeah, months, years. All right, where are we on? Number five? All right, number five. So this whole argument that in Galatians 3 moves us to this idea of being sons of Abraham, 
Okay. So look at verse seven. Know then that it is, it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And so the question is, and we'll close on this. Why would the Galatians want to be sons of Abraham? Well, I think sons of Abraham are often referenced as, you know, Israel, right? I mean, that's God's people. And I think this comes into the language that we sometimes use today about who is Israel? Who are we talking about? Are we talking about genetic Hebrew Jewish people? Well, no, God can raise up for, you know, new out of these stones, new sons for Abraham. And so we talk about the Israel of faith where the, all nations, the Gentiles, people like us, me anyway, uh, you know, who, who don't have any sort of genetically Jewish inheritance. Um, that, that's kind of the way that you would identify as being one of, one of God's people, right? Why? So why would you want that? Because you belong to him. So? And he likes you. So? <laughs> What is, and he like, he sent his son to die for you. So, what? Is, what who cares? So that, you can, so that you can then have everlasting life. Yes, because in God there's life, and this is kind of what Paul is getting at: is that the sons of Abraham are those who are attached to the God who gives life in Christ. See, yeah, Hebrews. There you go. The whole book of Hebrews. This is the whole point, right? And so, and so, what we're I just don't want to forget this is that the Bible. This might sound crazy. The Bible seems to think it's a really good thing to be God's child. Because if you belong to God, you have life. And it's a really bad thing to not be God's child. Now, we live in a world in which people have decided that faith means I can decide that God is good. And the lack of faith means I can decide God doesn't matter. Okay, this is the new atheism. It's not that I don't believe in God and therefore I live in this kind of, I hope he doesn't give me one day. No, the new atheism says it's my choice to believe whether or not he exists. And so I just don't believe he exists when I don't deal with him anymore. But that's not true. It doesn't matter whether you believe God exists or not. Guess what? He still exists. When I see the red and blue lights in my rear view mirror, I just shut my eyes and I say, they're not there. They're not that's there. Right. They're it's not, not there. real. It's not real. And, and that's kind of the idea is like, that's nice. They still are going to pull you over. Right. I mean, so, and that's a very small picture, but, but that's kind of the idea is that the scriptures remind us that the, the goal of all this is, is that we, we want, we need to be in a relationship with our creator, God, we need God, because he is the source of life, not just this life, but eternal life. And your faith does not make him real. And your lack of faith doesn't make him not real. He is not contingent on you, but you are entirely contingent on him. And that's why Paul says, everybody, Jew or Gentile, we all need to be children of Abraham because it's through Abraham that the promises of God are given to people. Okay. And that promise of God through Abraham in chapter three is going to be fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay. That's the big deal with Abraham. All right. I know we're past our time and I don't want to take any more time than we have to of yours. Um, but any quick questions before we pray? I, I'm sorry. I talked too much, but any quick questions? No one's reacting as though their clock differs from mine, but I feel like that took about 10 minutes to get through a whole hour. So I thought maybe my clock was wrong, but I guess, I guess it really is an hour. So sorry about that. I uh, didn't mean to, to go that fast, but let's pray. And then, and if you have any questions, I'll stick around. And we can talk. Let's pray. Lord God, heavenly father, by your Holy spirit, through the word that we have heard, draw us to Christ. For with you is plentiful redemption. For with you is forgiveness. For with you is everlasting life. And therefore, as we cry out to you again this night, we rejoice that you are the God who rejoices to forgive all of our iniquities and to grant us peace in Jesus Christ. So let us sleep this night, knowing that you are the God who loves us and the God who protects us and the God who provides for us and that you hold us in your grace in Jesus' name, amen.
thanks everybody. If you have any questions, please stick around. We can we can talk. Thank you. Thanks, Amen Kevin. And Thank many you. blessings. Um, thanks. Good to see everybody. Thanks. thanks Good evening. Kevin. Have a great week. You too. Bye. You too. You getting off? Mm -hmm. So I'll start. When we yep. were talking about the uh, order of scripture, mm -hmm. I I thought about. I'd never thought about that, like the proverbs or like song of you know like. Um, those sayings i never thought about an editor mm -hmm. putting them in an order and whether or not that editor would be considered god inspired even if the editor didn't mm -hmm. write it or is it sometimes that we say that the editor and the author are the same person and like god mm -hmm. inspired the writings and god inspired how they put them together uh -huh. do you have anything to add on that or do i have it is that what i just yeah, kind of what you would say or you're, you're kind of thinking through it correctly um huh. so David obviously didn't sit down and write 150 Psalms and number them one through 150 in this order. He didn't even write all the Psalms. Um, so somebody had to take these songs and put them together in a book. Right. Right. So for Psalms, was that David who did that or do we not know? We don't know exactly who did it and exactly when it was done even. Okay. We just have it done. So then, what we would say is, that the, the text of the Psalms themselves are inspired and we are unsure whether or not the, the first assembly of that would also be an inspired work. Does that make sense? Yeah, you mean like the order in which the Psalms appear? Yes. So we, have, we don't have individual Psalms floating around in the world. We always have them in a collection. So as far as we know, the first copy of Psalms is a, is a collection of these Psalms put together. So if that's the way God gave it to the church, then we would say that's an inspired reality. Um, but but that's kind of the point of that podcast that I was I was encouraging people to listen to with Adam Hensley is he actually looks at the assembly of the Psalms as a messianic assembly that they're actually assembled yeah. in such a way to point out their messianic teachings. Okay. Um, so that would be something that's in concert with the Bible. But again, it's a very good question on whether or not that editor was kind of inspired by God to do that, or if it's just somebody who understood them and put it together in a very good way. The same, the same question is actually for the minor prophets. Yeah. The minor prophets are the book of the 12. That's what they're called. Mm -hmm. And why are they put together the way they put together? Well, it's pretty clear that Hosea kind of kind of leads them off that kind of makes sense and malachi is is kind of chronologically the end okay. that makes sense but in the middle you're kind of going why is this there right and it's the same thing some scholars have actually said well when you look at it there actually is a theme and a development of that theme in the order of the books um especially in kind of the first well the it's kind of hard to delineate it, but, but there is a movement of the day of the Lord, right? If you kind of just trace the day of the Lord theme, you especially think of like Joel as a huge day of the Lord book, right? And you kind of look at the, all the books around Joel and how they're organized. There actually is development of the theme of the day of the Lord. Okay. Yeah. So when people are saying, did someone put this together and, and kind of go, Oh, these, these kind of work together. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, these are the things that we just don't know. But but the the minor prophets are always in one scroll, the Book of the Twelve. Hmm. So somebody put them there, right? Yeah, Kevin, we're still live on YouTube. If you 